Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where we're talking about the digital revolution that's taking place in the world, along with that other revolution that's hit all of us in our personal lives, our work lives, and every facet of what we do every day. So our guest today is one of our monthly digital all-stars, Sean Amirati, who each month shares some of his thoughts on Amirati on innovation. Sean's a serial entrepreneur. He's a professor at Carnegie Mellon University's Business School, where he co-founded the Corporate Startup Lab, and he's a venture capitalist, also an author and a blogger and podcaster. Sean, great to be, uh, great to see you again. Thanks for being back with us here at Cloud Wars Live. Uh, my pleasure. It's uh, always fun to get a chance to connect with you over these these episodes. Sean, thanks. And just before we start, take one second, because it was last episode, I think you introduced your new uh, environment here. And just tell us, just give us a little setup about that. And then I know you had some pretty fun things to talk about today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as I said last time, um, you know, one of the things I've been saying really since March here and on lots of other platforms is that the goal for businesses should not be just to reopen as they were before but really to reimagine their business in this post-COVID world that we're all hopefully getting closer and closer to. And as I was reflecting on that in, in the different things that I do, um, certainly education, I think, is a really good example of that, right? Like we need, to, we need to not rush back to just try to recreate classes like we did before, but kind of reimagine them and revisit them. And, and same with the keynotes and the exec ed workshops that I do. And so we've put in this, this studio here so that I can do high quality videos, both to uh, classrooms, to executive workshops, all of the kind of everything in between there. And, and one kind of fun thing that we've been working on for the last month on this is I've been doing multiple 4K video, super high quality with a, a production team, taking all of the lectures across four or five different classes that I teach and breaking them down into five to 12 minute little video snippets, where then after the video snippet, you can get a chance to go apply it. And, and kind of minimum value, I think of that is, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've created and teach on campus, lots of other faculty use as well. And so at a minimum, as Carnegie Mellon moves to this online hybrid mode for the fall, my hope is that uh, those professors will be able to leverage these resources in addition to myself, and I know there's interest there. But my plan is in, in early August to actually have this up on a site where other professors who are teaching entrepreneurship can also grab that same content and use it. Because, you know, one of the other things that I've become really personally convicted around is that the importance of entrepreneurial education has never been greater in higher ed. And so I want to make sure as many, many schools move to either fully remote or these sort of hybrid remote and in-person, that the quality of the entrepreneurship education we can give students across the country is amazing. And you know, because I've created this content anyways, I'm gonna to try to figure out a way to kind of freely share it with, with lots of other universities as well. So it's been fun. Uh, it's been fun to do more and more of these, these keynote style talks and workshops as well from here. Um, and you know, on a personal note, as much as I find this entire pandemic and, and incredibly tragic and, and frustrating. It's been magical to do a workshop with a company in Chicago uh, from my office here and then have dinner at home with my kids that night. Like, so, uh, so, you know, we're making the best of it and uh, 
I haven't been on an airplane for three months, which is the, the longest, I think, in, in my professional career, I haven't been on an airplane and, and it's been all right. So uh, we're staying safe. Hopefully you, Wendy, and everybody are, are doing the same. Absolutely, Sean. Uh, thanks. That's a wonderful story. And I think you are living the message that you're trying to impart to, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs and your students and also the companies that uh, you work with in the corporate startup lab. I also wanted to be sure to mention that, as you mentioned uh, last episode and touched on here today as well, that it's not enough just for companies to restart or pick up where they left off a few months ago, but that need to reimagine what they're doing. And, uh, Thomas Kurian, in a keynote talk at the uh, Google Cloud Next on Air, their annual customer event, he said, and he uh, he said to have the hope and the optimism to reimagine your business as you recover from the pandemic. We at Google take responsibility to support you in that effort, but specifically used the word reimagine. And um, Satya Nadella yesterday in the earnings call for Microsoft, he said uh, our job here at Microsoft is to help companies not only undergo digital transformation, but to reimagine what they can be. So I, there's just no question. You, your, your thoughts here have had widespread implications <laughs> among some very high level executives. Well, I, I don't want to take credit for their, for their thinking, but I, I was uh, very encouraged to see both of them take that posture. Um, I think one of the things that's going to be really interesting and, you know, as Google cloud has sort of taken their big conference and stretched it out over, I think it's like nine weeks. Is that right? Or yeah. something like that. Um, it's interesting to watch sort of the different announcements continue to, to, to roll out here. Um, I thought Thomas's kind of keynote was, was really interesting along a lot of dimensions. I certainly thought the reimagine thing was interesting. I also, I also thought the, the kind of, vertical solutions that he talked through and sort of how he he didn't just you know put a, a high level message out there but he really talked about what that means for different sectors was was fascinating what what's going to be really interesting to me over the next you know nine weeks as they roll this out is to look at how their tools can support that for the rest of the economy right so Great examples of how, you know, a Fortune 100 company can partner with Google Cloud to do that. And, and certainly, I, that's, I don't want to minimize that at all. Those are the, the same people who sponsor corporate startup lab projects. So I appreciate those. But I also think it's really important for that, you know, $100 million business in Indiana that needs to reimagine their business to, to leverage the, the same kind of philosophy. And my hope is that, you know, Google Cloud's suite of tools and all that will actually there'll actually be tools to help those companies do that as well. I have no knowledge on if they will or won't, but I just thought it was such a wonderful kind of mission statement and, and, and kind of vision statement. It'll be fascinating to watch how that's operationalized outside the, the hundred brands that we all know and are familiar with. John, just a, a quick thought on that. And then I want to let you get to your subject there. Um, one of the sort of cornerstone events that uh, Google Cloud had early on in its on-air version of, of uh, Google Cloud Next was one about partners. And it is through their partners that they will take the word and the capabilities and the opportunities out to work with those mid-sized companies that you just alluded to. And that's absolutely the specialty of some of these companies. And the, the fantastic hire that Thomas Curian made 
a little over a year ago, Rob Enslin from SAP. Rob has really been uh, driving this and helping to create a very, very vibrant and enthusiastic ecosystem there. And just, Sean, one thing with this, the reimagination, I think at Google Cloud, not just with the pandemic, but it really occurred 18, 19 months ago when Thomas joined. And you, you saw this organization that had phenomenal technological capabilities, but their orientation was just off, whether it, it was internal or uh, the, the thought was, why can't everybody be like us? And why do these dumb customers go out and have all these variations of stuff over the last 30 or 40 years? And Thomas really, part of the reimagination was not just how we deploy our technology and what types of technology we create, but what is the approach we take to the outside world? And yeah. doing those two things in parallel has been extraordinary. And your story from last time we talked about the restaurant that didn't just try to say, oh God, can we survive until we can start sitting people at tables again? So it applies from you know one of the world's most sophisticated technology companies to restaurants, to everybody in between. Right. And so I really applaud your your thinking and your efforts here, this, this commitment you've made to entrepreneurial education and forcing um, folks to confront this idea. If you just try to pick up with where you had been before, it's going to be awfully hard to catch up because there's going to be these other folks that have taken your, your, uh, your call here to reimagine what they are. And so, as you said a minute ago, this can be for all the tragedy and the, uh, and the inconveniences and the pain in the butt stuff we're all going through. Uh, it can be a wonderfully exciting high opportunity time. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And just one more thing, and then we, we should get to sure. the, the news of the day, but you know, one of the things that I mentioned last time that I kind of alluded to is now out as well. So I just wanted to mention this. So, you know, we've been challenged by a lot of executives with two basic questions uh, across the, the Fortune 500 execs who, who talk to us. And, and it's basically two, two versions of the same question. Well, how much money are my competitors going to continue to invest in innovation now that budgets are a little tighter, right? Or does it still make sense to do it, right? And the, the, we talked last time about the does it still make sense to do it. But I really wanted to try to come up with some quantifiable you know, metric that execs could look at and say, okay, what's the, the sort of wisdom of the crowd, if you will, around investments and innovation? And the problem is that it's really hard to do that via a survey and say, like, are you planning to continue to invest in innovation? Because people are actually really bad at predicting that. And they really don't have motivations, to be honest with you, as well. Um, but what we thought was an interesting proxy for that was talking to corporate venture capital groups, which, are, which really do often live at the bridge of innovation and corporate budgets. They have great visibility inside and outside, obviously, with the startups. And so we went out to CVCs, and we surveyed them. And we've, we've published this as a report on the Corporate Startup Lab site, but we've, we surveyed them about what they'd done over the last 12 months and what they're planning to do over the next 12 months. And, and what was interesting was, uh, you know, more than half of them actually plan to invest the same or more over the next 12 months, which I think is incredibly wise. I mean, it's the right strategy, but it's also encouraging that many, many companies are not going to just play defense here, but are actually going to be playing offense as we Wonderful. move forward. And so that, that's something that I kind of quickly alluded to last time, but that report is now out. And if people want to download it, it's on the Corporate Startup Lab site. So you can do that. Oh, Sean, that's great. Uh, 
uh, fun stuff. And again, I think it's, it's another example of how you're trying to leverage, you know, the multiple positions here in different ways, you know, to, to keep up with, you know, these fast changing times and helping people to see what might be over this, uh, you know, still indefinite horizon that we're yeah. all looking forward to very much. That's right. That's exactly right. So, so the other thing though, that we like to do on these all-star calls sometimes is talk about the news of the day. And I felt like we just got a fastball right down the middle uh, <laughs> yesterday afternoon. So I quickly emailed you last night and said, hey, I think, I think we should kind of change, change topics a little bit and spend so, just a little bit of time tomorrow talking about this little dust up between Microsoft and Slack, right? So uh, we're recording this on Thursday, but Wednesday, the, yesterday, the um, Slack organization went to the EU and basically said, in so many words, remember Microsoft, you know, they're up to quote their old tricks again, just like the browser wars, and they're being anti-competitive. And uh, I, I mean, this is just, this is illustrative of so many interesting things that I just felt like we had to spend a few minutes here unpacking this because one, I think it's actually really relevant for just the future of cloud and how we think about kind of the enterprise software market going forward. But also I think there's just a ton of lessons for innovation here and for innovators, both small company innovators and the, the Fortune 500 that are trying to innovate. That's a great point. And now just if we could uh, like to have a word from our sponsor, BMC. In a world that's changing faster than ever before, the biggest challenge for businesses is creating fabulous customer experiences. That objective requires actionable insights and real-time agility from one end of your business to the other. At BMC, they call this the autonomous digital enterprise, and they've put together a set of solutions to help you anticipate what's coming, adjust accordingly, and acknowledge those changes from end to end. To start your journey to the autonomous digital enterprise, visit bmc.com slash ADE. So I thought what we do is we just kind of walk through the timeline. And as I was trying to, you know, I was uh, working out this morning and trying to think about, okay, what's the right way to walk through this timeline? And, uh, you know, thankfully, as it, as it relates to this topic, the CEO of Slack is probably one of the most active tech CEOs on the Twitter platform, uh, which I think is, is very smart. I mean, I, I think we've talked about this back to at the turn of the year when we made our, our tech predictions for the year. Uh, I think Slack is, is frankly underperforming in, in many ways because they haven't penetrated deeply into the enterprise. Uh, I think that this, this move that just to kind of preview is I think frankly a move of desperation by Slack, uh, just as another example of them coming to grips with the fact that they're under but I do think Stewart's activity on, on Twitter overall is actually very smart. I think other execs could learn from him in this. Unfortunately, as it relates to this, it does give us an amazing timeline, as they say, uh, about the, the history that we're going through. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just go ahead and, uh, and just pull some slides up uh, as we go through this, um, because I think, I think it's actually quite helpful to to go back to, um, we're gonna go back to uh, 2016 when Microsoft got into this space. And, uh, and then we're gonna go on to today. So hopefully you guys can see my screen now. Um, are you able to see the screen, Bob? Looks great, Sean. Okay, yep. great. 
Okay, so let's go back to 2016, right? So 2016, Microsoft announces Teams, right? And when you go back to that point, it's tempting to look at that and think like, okay, well, uh, I mean, Slack's a big company today. I'm sure they were large back then. No, no big deal, right? They, they, uh, they had, um, you know, the big company against big company. Was, I was trying to think of the best way to put into context the difference between Microsoft and Slack at that point. And, and here's an easy way to come up with it, to, to give you a sense on how small Slack was to Microsoft back in 2016. At the time when Microsoft announced their Teams product, Slack had raised in total across the life of the company $550 million from venture capitalists. At that same point in time, Microsoft had conveniently, and it's, to the, it's, it's almost perfectly, 200 times as much cash on their balance sheet. <laughs> this means that Microsoft had at least 200 times as much cash on their balance sheet as Microsoft because, you know, Slack had spent many millions of the 550 million that they'd raised. But just best case scenario, if everybody had been working at Slack for free over the previous years, and if everybody in the organization had somehow convinced Amazon to give them free web hosting for all the servers that were running, they would still have one two hundredth as much money as Microsoft did at that point, right? So Microsoft doesn't really need help marketing their new product at that point. But Stuart thinks, so, so any, I think any rational board at that point would say, Stuart, you know what you should do? You should go ahead and go hire someone, frankly, like you were talking about earlier, go hire somebody like Thomas, right? Go get a guy who knows how to get enterprise deals done. Go hire him and, and help him to take this product that frankly has lots of fanatics inside of, uh, inside of these organizations and actually turn those fanatics into meaningful, large, multi-million dollar annual contracts. Nope, that's not what he did. Instead, <laughs> He got a feeling, this is literally a tweet from 2016. He got a feeling which said, huh, we should buy a full page ad in the New York Times. I mean, like I'm trying to picture the conversation between the board and Stuart at that point, Bob. Hey, um, I had this feeling that we should go ahead and give Microsoft some free advertising. They just, they don't have the money. They don't have the money to, they, you know, they just, they, they probably aren't gonna be able to make people aware of their team's product that well. So we're gonna go ahead and, and give them the pleasure of a free full page ad in the New York Times. Sean, you know, I think, uh, so that was 2016, right? That's and right. if you'd go back, uh, uh, let's see, can I do the math? 34 years, 1982. Maybe Stuart was channeling Steve Jobs because when IBM introduced the IBM PC in 1982, Steve Jobs took out uh, a big ad and, hey, IBM, welcome to the PC industry. You know, we, we hope you'll help uh, spread the word and do great things. But uh, I'm getting... Yeah, but, but Silicon Valley forgets their history. Apple, <laughs> Apple, Apple would live to regret that, <laughs> yes. right? Like, like this is... And, and to give Steve credit, at least... He, he, at the same time, went to John Scully and said, you know, do, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar-flavored yeah. water? I mean, <laughs> like, 
fine. Maybe he doesn't go get Thomas Crane. Maybe he goes to, to, I don't know, Keith Black and says, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugar-flavored CRM? Or do you want to come build Slack? Right? Like, like he could have gone and invested in his team right then. Right? Nope. Full-page ad in the New York Times. Uh, so, so anyways, I, I mean, let's just call this mistake number one. Yes. Go give Marcus Life some, some, <laughs> some free advertising. Now, let's, let's look at what he actually put in the full-page ad. Because uh, conveniently, he posted this online as well, so that for everybody who doesn't have a um, New York Times subscription, they could also read it. So, uh, first of all, he, he congratulates them on the announcement and says, and this is a quote, we're genuinely excited to have some competition. He's so genuinely excited about that four years later, <laughs> yeah. he's, gonna, he's gonna actually go to the EU and complain <laughs> about said competition. He goes on to say a couple other things, then he, wants to, then, he, then he decides, I'm gonna offer you some, some free advice. Well, it's not really uh -huh. free because he paid the New York Times, <laughs> but I'm gonna give you some free advice here, right? Because he wants, he wants he wants the team at Microsoft to know that this is going to be hard for them. Mm. So he gives them these, these four pieces of advice, and, and I'm just pulling out the bold, the bold points here. Um, uh, my, my favorite, honestly, of the four, and, and this, I think, was the, was the second great mistake by Stuart here, was that he thought he was competing with a very different Microsoft. Right? He, he feels, and if you look at the second point on, you know, an open platform is essential, right? Like th this is not the Microsoft that certainly I grew up with. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> they, didn't need, they didn't need help from Stuart to figure that out. <laughs> he also wants to make sure they're not confused that he's here yeah. to stay. <laughs> That's fine, okay. Uh, and, then he, and then he finally, he finishes them by welcoming them, quote, to the revolution. I mean, uh, keep in mind, again, the relative difference in these things. Now, now uh, let, me, let, let me just, again, I, I think this, is, this was sort of mistake number two here. And, and, and I should say, like, he's an incredible entrepreneur. He built Flickr before he built Slack, right? Like, part of the thing is I don't, I don't like to do these kind of object lessons with entrepreneurs who've, you know, flamed out and, and failed. Like, but, but the reality is like this often helps people understand what we're talking about here. And so it's helpful to actually use real live examples. And frankly, I find it more helpful to do it with examples of billionaires who have been incredibly successful than you know, three people in a garage who it just doesn't work out for. But, but object lesson three here is, um, you know, uh, I used to play a bit of soccer and um, my coach had this term called bulletin board material. Uh, if you played sports, you you know what we're talking about here. Um, if I were if I were the Microsoft CEO, I'd have bought a thousand copies <laughs> of this ad, and I'd have stapled them to every wall I could find in the Microsoft Teams building. Right? Like, what what possibly was going on? It was it, it was free advertising for his for this incumbent that is the world's leader in business productivity software. It's not like these guys don't know what they're, what they're doing. It's not like Microsoft is, you know, someone who has no idea what they're doing. He, they, have, they have an amazingly fanatical product today and back then, but they're not actually taking advantage of um, those customers, right? 
and uh, and it and it's just it 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 reeks of of arrogance, which is kind of problematic in and of itself. But then it makes what he did yesterday or what his team did yesterday even crazier, right? Because he went ahead and four years later basically goes hat in hand to the EU and says, oh man, it's just not fair the way Microsoft's treating us. And, and there's, there's a couple like big problems with this. So again, helpful, he very helpfully goes ahead and turns this into a, a Twitter thread for us so that we can walk through these quickly. Uh, first of all, he opens by saying, don't worry, we're winning. That's the opening of the, the Twitter thread, right? We've grown 500% and our enterprise business has grown over a thousand percent. We, yeah, Stuart, those are off of really small numbers, like just for, for context. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, percentages, it turns out, like I, I see entrepreneurs do this all the time with me. Like they're a $50,000 a month business and then they become a $100,000 a month business. Like that's much, much easier than going from 10 million to, to a $20 million business, right? Like you, these percentages just don't always tell the full, the full story there. But then he follows up with exactly the right question. The question that frankly, somebody again, just like somebody on his board should have gotten in front of him before he ran the New York Times article and said, stop. Somebody on his board should have got ahead of him before he filed this complaint and said, this is a bad mistake for multiple reasons. One, it just looks poor. Like if this is actually true, if you believe what this says, if you believe that you're actually winning in the marketplace, then keep your head down and keep winning. <laughs> and if you, if more, my strong intuition is that, that more, they're really scared about what's happening with, with the team's product. But don't tell, don't flag Microsoft as a competitor because you know, we said this at the beginning of the year here, Bob, most likely somebody's going to buy Slack this year. And why would you want to make it impossible for Microsoft to be the one to acquire you? He basically just built the antitrust argument for why Microsoft cannot buy Slack. So why did he file the complaint? I, I want you to see why. It, he, because he believes this is just like Instagram adding stories to remove the impetus for users to even try Snapchat. This is a false comparison. It's a terrible, terrible comparison. Again, I think this is him and a lot of people in Silicon Valley, because I saw this a lot on Twitter yesterday. People saying like, you know what's happening? Microsoft is up to their old tricks, right? We're trying to, we're trying to draw this analogy between the browser wars and Slack and Teams, and they're just not good analogies. To the best of my knowledge, Microsoft has not installed Teams on any Windows operating systems, right? You would know, but I think it's just with Office, right? This is just part of the Office suite. The, the reality is, and this is part of the problem that Stuart needs to deal with, the reality is that people don't view Slack, there are many, many companies who don't view Slack as a standalone thing. They view it as part of their overall Office productivity. And he kind of goes on to say as much, right? Because um, his, his basic argument here is that, um, you know, Microsoft wants 100% of the revenue instead of 98% to Microsoft and 2% to Slack. Well, well, here's the thing. Some companies are going to continue to use Slack. And frankly, I'm, this is why I find this so excruciatingly frustrating. 
I'm one of them. I would, I mean, the Microsoft Teams product is painful. When I get a Teams link from a, a company that I'm working with, I, like I grimace. It's an absolutely terrible product. They should just be winning. But, but instead, they're going in and complaining about, about antitrust and, and getting distracted here. And this is my favorite thing. This is what he should have done. This is literally what he should have said in 2016. I'm going to stay yes. focused on my team, the product, the business, and the customers. Uh, I, you should know I bolded that, not him. But, but that's, what he, that's what he should have said in 2016. But he should have in 2016 said, okay, I'm going to go get people to compliment me who know how to do enterprise sales. He should have said, oh, we've got a problem. We've got an amazing product that people love around collaboration, but we're, we only have like one part of the overall suite. And he should have gone out and, and acquired companies and built product and innovated, right? He should have stayed focused on the business and the customers instead of running an ad in the New York Times, but he didn't. And, and then the last point that I wanted to make, and then I'll stop sharing our trip to memory lane, is I also find the timing on this just to be incredibly distasteful. Because Monday, the other four CEOs of the five big tech companies are going to Washington. And, and they're going to Washington to defend that they aren't violating antitrust. And I have different opinions about all four of these and for, for the sake of time and also because it's not that relevant, I won't spend a ton of time on that right now. But I will just say, I think some of the, some of the people up here shouldn't be going to Washington in a group of four. They should be going to Washington by themselves and they should be facing really difficult questions about their antitrust behavior. But Microsoft, they're not in that category right now. And it is just incredibly frustrating that I think the timing on this is not a coincidence. Like filing this on Wednesday before every newspaper in America on Monday and every outlet on Monday is gonna be talking about these four coming to Washington. And now they're gonna feel obligated to ask the question, well, should Microsoft be there because of Teams? It's not the same thing. And so uh, maybe that's the end of the, the rant. I think there's some, some lessons here for all of us. Um, but I just thought, again, as I thought, you know, we like to talk about innovation, the future of innovation, all of that kind of stuff, right? Um, but we also sometimes have these, these great things from the cloud news that I think are, are worth unpacking for a moment as well. Oh, Sean, what an what a incredible story there because clearly you've got great admiration for Stuart and what he's done both at Slack and before that at Flickr. And at the same time, uh, what you circled there at the end, the ultimate thing, stay focused on the team, the product, the company, and uh, the, the customers, you know, that, but, but for whatever reason, he got out there, and I don't think it's going to be lost on a lot of people that, you know, he, he really did some jury shopping too, you know, the EU, well, let, let, let's go. Uh, and, you know, again, if he wants to, to try this sort of thing, that, that's the ideal place to do it, but boy, oh boy, I, what a, what a tale there for a company of any size, you know, wherever you are, there's a lot of lessons in there, Sean. I think you uh, elucidated all of those pretty powerfully. And it's, it's just, it, it's what begins to happen. I think when somebody you lose sight of, right. What the, either the ultimate goal is or who you are and what the real purpose of this is. I don't know of too many anti competitive practices lawsuits have ever ended up benefiting customers too well. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you could you can go back to like the the Rockefeller era, and I think you can point to some interesting examples. And by the way, I think that at, at that point in time, benefited customers and benefited, uh, frankly, the shareholders. Like if you look at the the aggregate value of Standard Oil once it was broken up, it was worth much more in pieces than it was together. There are some interesting analogies to Amazon for what it's worth there. Like, I don't think regulators should break Amazon up, but I do think <laughs> AWS should get that out of Amazon because it'd be a much more valuable thing on its own. Um, so that's, you know, that's a very different thing. Uh, but even, if, even on the Microsoft thing, right? Like the reality is uh, Microsoft didn't, get disrupted because of the antitrust case. Microsoft got disrupted because disruptors went in and focused on the t their teams, their products, their customers. And, and I think Stuart's sentiment at the end there is, is correct. There's just two problems with it. One, he should have posted that in 2016, not yesterday. And two, you don't post that in the e at the end of a tweet storm about how you're, you're running to, you know, mom at the EU to have her pick the battle that you can't win on your own. It's just, it's just not good form all the way around. Yeah, Sean. Uh, and, you know, just, just one perhaps final thought with that. First, I think it was really terrific how you laid that out. And it also was a little bit of a, you know, um, a test drive here, a, you know, an actual presentation here of a different way of looking at things. So, you know, you, you, you talked at the beginning about how you're sort of reframing what you do and how you do it and how you use technology to achieve a different sort of end and more engaging. That was really, uh, that was really slick how you did it. it. It was very helpful that Stuart provided you with, you know, some uh, very clear breadcrumb trail that you could follow through that. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I admire most about Microsoft, uh, you know, it just, it's singularity of purpose these days. And uh, I think it was Jim Cramer last night on a panel discussion. They were, the, the subject was, is Microsoft stock price overvalued? And I, I don't really ever get into those sort of discussions. But one of the things that Cramer said was, look, we are at a point now where we don't have, we don't have a model to look at on this. He said, Microsoft is different from any other company. And he said the way they're doing it, and, and that was driven so much by, you know, what was it? The cloud business grew 30%. So for the trailing 12 months, it's $50 billion. And I think Nadella has been saying since, you know, 2015, 2016, he's been saying that one of the things that Microsoft has an opportunity to be valuable to customers about is we can help address their entire digital estate from end to end. And in that context, he's going to say Teams is just a natural outgrowth of this. It's part of it. And it's, as you've said, it, it may not be the greatest, uh, you know, set of tools and solutions in the world, but for a lot of companies, it helps them do what they need to do. And so Sean, fantastic lessons here. And um, uh, if you were sitting in Oh, I'm not sitting in front of. If you were uh, where you are, uh, reaching an audience of entrepreneurs, what would you what would you tell them? What would be your your concluding comment to them about this? Yeah. So so I think there's I think there's a couple of things, right? So you know, I literally wrote an entire book on how do you scale a business after you achieve product market fit. And what I can tell you is, in 2016, Microsoft when Microsoft entered the market. Slack had achieved product market fit. They absolutely had. 
But one of the things that we talk about in the book is that there's sort of after you satisfy those prerequisites, which you can broadly frame as product market fit and getting the interaction right. And, and I think, frankly, in 2016, Stuart had checked all those boxes and the, and the team that he built there. It's certainly not a one-man show, but the team at Slack had checked all four of those boxes. But we talk about that second phase is what we call the catalyzing event. Like, how do you change the slope of your line? The interesting thing is, and I think the lesson for entrepreneurs here, big company or small, is Microsoft getting into the market should have absolutely been a catalyzing event for the business. But you got to be savvy when that happens. And, you know, poking your competitor <laughs> in the eye is not, that's not the way you do that, especially when your competitor has at least 200 times as much money as you do. And, and the thing is, like, Slack had plenty of other valuable things they could offer. I mean, their, their stock certainly probably has appreciated at least as much as Microsoft's has since 2016. So they had currency they could have used to go get talent. They had lots of people who wanted to invest in them. Uh, so they could have raised more money if that's what they needed to, to if, they, if they had broadened their vision, put the right team involved and, and gone and, and run hard after this. Um, they've, it seems like they've made a decision that communication platforms are separate from the, the rest of office productivity. And I think that's just, I think that's just, I think frankly, that's true in Silicon Valley and in the, the tech sector that those guys hang out in. And, and I'm even struggling because frankly, it's true with almost everybody I work with. Like I've got, uh, 12 Slack workspaces, you know, uh, that I'm very, very active in. And I don't think any of those, the people in those 12 workspaces would move to Microsoft Teams as the product exists today. But, but the problem is like, they haven't figured out how to, I mean, th this is exactly what we talked about in December and it hasn't changed. Th they haven't figured out how to um, actually make those relationships become meaningful in these big companies. So he can talk about all the big companies they have using it, but the, the damning statistic you can't run away from is they don't have many million dollar accounts. And, and I think unfortunately now in 2020 with where they sit, and this is, this is, this is sad as the entrepreneur to be sitting there, but, but he does have a responsibility to his shareholders, to his customers, uh, and to his employees. The sad reality is Slack is worth more inside somebody else's enterprise today than it is alone. And all three of those groups would do better if he realized that. And he just shot himself in the foot again, because I do believe the best place for Slack is going to be Oracle, Salesforce, one of those, I mean, those two companies particularly. But man, if we learned anything from the LinkedIn filings around the M&A with Microsoft, it's you can really play Salesforce and Microsoft Corp dev teams <laughs> against each other. And he just, he just literally cut the oxygen out from that. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's incredibly, it just, it, as many great things as he's done. And, and again, he's done great things. That's why I feel okay doing what we're doing here. Like, yeah. like there are plenty of four people startups that ultimately implode and, and the founders end up with nothing but some credit card debt when it's done that we could do similar walkthroughs and you'll never see me do it. The, yeah. the closest I've done is there's, uh, there's some, some stories I will tell where I'll change enough of the details that you can't figure out which company it is to protect those people.
but but you know Stewart's a, a billionaire and a, a big boy like he he's done and he's done so well in so many ways I think it's a much safer case study here um, but where they sit today I mean unfortunately if I were if I were sitting in his shoes I'd be having very different conversations I wouldn't be talking to the EU I'd be talking to the investment banks and figuring out the right way to run a process to maximize the value because you give Larry Ellison or Mark Benioff, or unfortunately, this, this now seems to have been cut off, or Satya Nadella, uh, that, or Thomas, you, you give them that customer, that engaged active customer base, you know how many million dollar plus accounts they're gonna have flipped on? It, yeah. It's just, it's just that's, that's where we are today on, on this one. So I don't know, it's, um, you know, there's, I think there's lessons back in 2016, there's lessons today. It's an amazing product. I'm a, a huge fan of the product, um, but you know, I just don't know how you catch up. I mean, I think maybe even as recently as a year or two ago, you could have caught up through some combination of releasing a bunch of really interesting, innovative products that make that basically create your own suite of future of work solutions, and and probably doing some acquisitions as well. But it just, I mean it's going to be really hard because it's not, they're not just fighting the Microsoft battle, by the way, anymore. As you know, you were talking about the, the Google cloud thing. I mean, Google's running, which, which also, by the way, it's just another reason this is just an insane lawsuit. Google's running full steam into this and also arguing, no, this is just part of the overall productivity suite. And I forget if it was the New York times or one of the other people who covered this lawsuit yesterday. Um, the, the response from Slack was like, well, yeah, but they're not that big. That's just, I mean, come on, guys, come on. You've done an amazing thing. You built a product that will probably, if you handle this the right way, it'll probably be one of those lifelong products that people will continue to use inside the right home. But, but I mean, from my perspective, and maybe I'm missing something, but from where I sit, it just feels like the dance is up. It's time for, for Slack to be part of a, a different enterprise company at this point. Sean, great story. Great lessons there, man. And uh, for all of us at any point, no matter how well things are going or how not so well things are going, keep your eye on, on the big idea. <laughs> and if you feel the compulsion to shoot yourself in the foot, you know, throw the gun away or stand on your head or something that makes it, uh, you know, more difficult to do that. All of us, unfortunately, have the tendency from time to time to want to do it, but think a little bit. And you also said a couple of times, like about how, why didn't he go talk to the board? Why didn't he ask somebody else about this? So maybe, you know, for a lot of us, if, if we're hit with an idea that's going to be so great and I'll really stick my finger in somebody else's chest, go talk to a grown-up about it and, uh, and see if you feel as good about it after a rigorous conversation as you did beforehand. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think corporate governance is an uh, underappreciated strategic asset in a lot of these tech companies today. Um, and I think... You know, you know, the, the board could have been really helpful in 2016, and they could have been really helpful uh, yesterday. Uh, I'm not privy to what the conversations at either of those times. So, so maybe they were read in, and maybe they all thought this was a really good idea. Um, seems hard to believe, but uh, but you know, it, it, think about it this way: if Michael Jordan needs a coach, <laughs> why do why do all of these tech CEOs th 
think that they don't. And, you know, the great Silicon Valley coach is, is a Pittsburgh native, as you know, Bob, Bill Campbell, unfortunately has passed away now, but you know, I'm, I'm picturing what, what Bill would have done, you know, right. Sat down and shut the door and had a hard conversation. With yeah. Him, so. Sean, real quick, if I could tell one, uh, anecdote that I think is related here in a, a book about uh, Larry Ellison and the America's Cup thing. It's called The Billionaire and the Mechanic. There's an anecdote in there. Um, and it's about a former Oracle employee who left, uh, you know, years ago and went to Yahoo and Yahoo was, you know, just, you know, approaching the sun. And this guy somehow, the book tells the story, gets uh, after he's gone from Oracle, he has uh, able to get a meeting with, with Larry Ellison. He goes back and he says, Larry, I want to get your advice on something. You know, over here at Yahoo, we got a call the other day from Disney. And uh, Disney, you know, seems to be interested in trying to do something with us. You know, should I tell him yes or should I blow him off? And in the book, you know, Larry Ellison says, let me get this straight. Said, you're you're hearing from Disney, you know, the most valuable films, one of the best brands, the theme parks, the connection, the engagement, all this and that. That's what Disney has. You have free email and a little bit of news on your site. He said, has the whole world gone crazy? So some perspective, some, uh, I, I don't uh, mean that disrespectfully towards Slack, but this sense that we sometimes get about failing that forces us to see the world as we wish it were, or that the blinders allow us to see this much of the picture instead of this much, that's a, that's a dangerous time. So like you said, you know, check in with some people who've got some perspective, who, who are invested in some way, but not necessarily overly emotionally invested. A very, very powerful idea and lesson there, Sean. Great advice. Thanks, Thanks Bob. Well, this is, as always, it's fun. I think the cloud space is only going to get more interesting over the next 12 months, right? As we rush to to reinvent these industries and businesses and, and reimagine them. So uh, it's gonna be interesting to watch what happens and hopefully we'll continue to, to try to tie these things back to innovation at large. So. Uh, great stuff, Sean. And maybe we'll, we'll flip your, uh, your overall theme from Amirati on innovation to Amirati on reimagination. <laughs> there you, you got go. some, some good inspiration. Sean, thanks a million. Always good to see you. And all of you folks, thanks for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. Hope your summer's going great. Hope you're reimagining some fun things and we look forward to seeing you next time. So long.